We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Chase Down Podcast presents A City of Champions, a seven-part series chronicling the Cavs' 2016 NBA championship. With help from fans who cheered against us, reporters who covered it, and the players who watched it, we'll take you game by game through the most improbable 3-1 comeback in championship history. Be sure to subscribe to the Chase Down Podcast to relive the greatest series we've seen in our lifetimes. One dribble steps back, puts up a three, won't go, rebound tip taken by Spades, final seconds, it's over, it's over! Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. The series begins Thursday, April 9th. Blue Wire. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel, and special guest, Alex Sturm. What's up, guys? Second appearance, so happy to be back. Always looking forward to these. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm working today, but I'm still potting. I'm uh, making sure that the buzz stays a priority. You got those double duties, Jack. And as always, you can find the previous Brooklyn Buzzes on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. But Jack, I'll pass it over to you. All right, lads, let's get into just some general news and topics around Nets Twitter. And the first one, a couple of days ago, Sean Marks was having a bit of a chat with Iron Eagle on the Yes Network and pick out a few quotes for you guys to respond to. And he said this, me personally, I'm in touch with the players on an individual basis every couple of days. I know Jacques and the coaching staff has sort of divvied up and are doing the same thing once a day, every couple of days. The performance team has taken it to another level, getting creative via Zoom and FaceTime. And the players have the option to join in when it fits their schedule. What do you think about the the guys keeping contact throughout the COVID-19 quarantining? I mean, to me, this seems like pretty routine, healthy workplace kind of stuff. They're, this is their job to be NBA players. And if it's staying in contact with the staff, making sure that they're still in shape 
and with each other to make sure they're still a team, even if the season might be over. Yeah, I think communication is extremely important on all aspects from, you know, sports to regular business. And I think it just helps kind of build some chemistry even without them playing. So it's good to be in contact. I think it also like helps, you know, just people in general to stay busy during this time where you're pretty much, you know, stuck in your house for 24-7. Having the opportunity to communicate with different people and sharing information, I think is great. And I think the the big one is he gave it a little bit of an update also on KD and Kyrie. He said both are doing well. I think with them as well as our entire group, there's a level of anxiety of not knowing when we're going to return, but we'll look at it, uh, how we return and so forth. Specifically with Kevin, this rehab and return to practice was really looking great. He was on the floor again. A lot of people have seen that short little video that was posted and so forth. Nick's seen it about 14 million times. <laughs> it was remarkable to see the way he was progressing under the current situation with the circumstances. I could also make the argument that it set our guys back a little bit. Obviously, HSS is closed and we couldn't get our practice facility. So it's kind of put everything on hold. But again, I think that's okay. What do you guys think? Mini update. Not really much to sort of say, but, you know, positivity and sort of, I guess, sort of a mini insight into uh, the two superstars and how they're going. I mean, a setback stinks, but the season's essentially over. And I've been keeping track of Kevin Durant's, like, timeline more or less over the season. And it seemed the only stepping stone left, really, from what we could tell as outsiders, was basketball-related activity. And nowadays, especially in New York City, there isn't much space for basketball-related activity at all. And as for Kyrie Irving, I mean, we haven't heard much about his rehab, if at all. And we don't know where he is in his process. But I'm sure once next season eventually starts, they'll be ready. Yeah, and I think what Sean Marks is doing here is he alleviating any pressure that there might be from the outside saying, hey, Kyrie and KD might be back, saying like, hey, this actually might not benefit them. We're still going to give them their regular rehab and whatever they need to do. And if it works out, it works out. But this isn't necessarily pushing them any any bit further because, like you mentioned, the facility being closed down and having one of the best facilities kind of limits the players given that they live in New York City and they likely don't have basketball courts it's just kind of hampering everybody. And obviously, guys who haven't played basketball in X amount of months, it's going to hamper you a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously, you know, in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, in general, there's not really much spread out space. It's uh, very much crammed together. And, you know, the the facilities that you have to play basketball, in any sort of sense of the word, it's, it's going to be a tricky one. But I'll finish off before we do move on with uh, Jacques Vaughn. And he sort of said that you know, he's been mildly impressive, not, you know, a little bit more than that. We spent many days looking at that. I hope we can get a lot longer to give Jacques and stuff an appropriate amount of time to bond with these players. Obviously, they know each other well and see if the system fits is out on the court and so forth. I can attest to the work this staff is doing right now. They all have great rapport with the players. I want to make sure Jacques and the staff have every single opportunity they possibly can. Mr. Vaughan, his chances, and they're leading nicely to our... I guess I'll just ask it right here, boys. Jacques Vaughan and his head coaching chances. What do you think of those comments? And I guess in general, you know, the likelihood that we see him maybe even stick around in an assistant coaching capacity. What do you guys think? I think you hit the nail right on the head in that last part. I think he'll be on the coaching staff next year, but doubtful in head coaching role. We saw those reports that, uh, or from uh, Brian Windhorst that the Nets were looking for a blue chip coach. And that's not exactly Jock Vaughn's title, but he definitely seemed to be like a well-headed coach and clearly is close with a lot of players. So I think he'd be a good fit on the bench next to a higher level coach next year. 
Yeah, I would say you'd have to have a lot of success if the season were to return, and you'd have to do a lot in a you know small stint of time and show that, hey, I can make these adjustments. These guys respect me and trust me to do this. And obviously it would probably take voices from the players saying, hey, we want Vaughn to be the next head coach. It doesn't seem super likely. Like Alec mentioned, like you mentioned, Jack, an assistant uh, coaching role seems more likely for next season. But you really never know because a lot of times when a new head coach gets brought in, they like to bring in their own assistant. So it's tough to say unless it's somebody that has a previous relationship with Vaughn. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people do speak highly of his leadership credentials and such. I think the the one thing that I took from the Nets Daily article was James Borrego's comments yeah. uh, in relation to where he sort of said and was speaking about, you know, the the former coach, Kenny Atkinson. He said, I'm sure Kenny encouraged him to move forward, keep pounding away. That's what Jacques encouraged me to do when I took over the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, that gave me peace to move forward, that I can do it with clarity and coach the team with the right mindset. Kenny's giving him his blessing, and now he's at peace with that. At this point, he's done it before for Jacques. This is the second time round, and he's going to do better the second time round. Now, that was something that, for me, stuck out, the fact that, you know, obviously, the the relationship with, with Kenny, his, his assistance was always a, a quality one. He always leans on them. He's not necessarily one to sort of be stuck in the box and, and, not necess- and just ignore and sort of be the dictator when it comes to, to coaching so the fact that he has the blessing and uh, of coach Kenny Atkinson former coach coach Kenny Atkinson uh, is a little bit intriguing and I guess positive yeah I think so I think from Sean Marks's perspective too we all know he's a very meticulous guy who definitely had a plan and I wouldn't be surprised if he had these kinds of benchmarks where he wanted to make decisions and this whole coronavirus has pushed those back and now he really never got a good look at Jacques Vaughn, so wants to praise Vaughn and what he was able to accomplish, which wasn't much because of the limited window. Yeah, I think Borrego, Kenny Atkinson, even Jacques Vaughn, they all kind of stem from a similar coaching tree. Obviously, Kenny never coached with San Antonio. Vaughn, I don't believe, ever coached with San Antonio, but was a player there. So you can kind of sense the connection. And I think, you know, anytime, you know, just backing what Borrego was saying about Vaughn, the fact is, the second time you're coaching, you're going to have a lot more experience, especially Vaughn went into that Orlando Magic head coaching job, super young and lacked real experience. So I think he benefited from being on the bench in Brooklyn and obviously the different experiences he's had in NBA player because it's not like Vaughn was the most talented NBA player. He just was able to kind of stay along by doing the, the dirty work, doing the right things and being a good teammate. And I think there's also a quote in the article that you shared with us, Jack, about Popovich saying, he wanted Vaughn on the team next year, and he didn't really care how much he played, but he knew it would be beneficial to the team. Yeah, and, and I think every in terms of creating a championship environment, you just need all the personalities and people available that can make that a conducive environment. And, and it seems to me that you know Jacques Vaughn could have a place in that, like Alex sort of mentioned, possibly as an assistant coach, or maybe he does stick around. We'll have to wait and see if and when the NBA does come back. But uh, lads, what's been sticking out for you on Spencer Dinwiddie Twitter watch? Well, I think it's pretty clear that he's bored. He's been tweeting how <laughs> bored he is. We saw that bracket, though. The tweet that stuck out to me the most—I can't believe I'm saying that on a podcast—is the Bradley Beal tweet and um, how he said that fans have been putting him in Bradley Beal trades, but that doesn't phase him. What stuck out to me is we know the Nets are an organization that will tell their players when they might be on the way out, like the veterans Ed Davis, Damari Carroll, and Jared Dudley last year. They were told that they might be let go for a Kevin Durant or a Kyrie Irving coming in and that they needed that cap space. So I was curious that maybe Spencer Dinwiddie was already told he might be on the way out for Bradley Beal, and he was echoing that on Twitter. 
Yeah, I think it's more so Spencer probably just seeing all of the tweets and the articles, you know, mentioned of he's going to be a key piece in pretty much any trade they make for a star, most likely. And I wouldn't even been surprised that when Spencer signed his extension telling him like, hey, there's a possibility you could get moved. This is an extremely tradable contract. And at the time of the extension, you know, they still had D'Angelo Russell. So he was always going to be, you know, the lead guard if he were to stay. So I think Spencer has been kind of aware. He seems to be a very aware, uh, have great awareness as an NBA player. Yeah. I think a lot, a lot of guys don't have that where he understands the skill set. He understands what he can do and where he's going to be put and what can happen to him. And he mentioned, I think, as well in one of his te- tweets saying, like, since his days in Detroit and Chicago, he kind of understood the business. He That he does. And just remember, just because somebody has the ability to make something look easy doesn't mean that it is. Spencer, providing that wisdom, I, I always love that. And uh, one thing I will say about the Bradley Beal sort of stuff is, you know, having heard about what was said on the, the low post, I'm a, a little less confident of that. And we're really speaking about third star sort of possibilities in relation to one Alex pieces on uh, otgbasketball.com. But... With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From the online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Lads, Rudy Gobert is a Brooklyn Net or Brook Lopez is a Brooklyn Net? What are we thinking? Well, one guy was already a Brooklyn Net. We can say that for a fact. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah you're right. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> I mean, is Rudy Gobert the newest player to hit the trade block? Because... Now that this apparent kerfuffle between him and Donovan Mitchell is going on, someone has to give in, and I don't think it'll be Rudy Gobert. Um, as for me, I would love Rudy Gobert on the Nets. I think that the Nets need a defensive identity and someone to center that around. And even though it's more of a 3-4 wing kind of player to guard elite forwards in the East, I think if you can have someone like Rudy Gobert and just funnel everyone to the rim, I think that really revolutionizes your defense. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's extremely interesting considering uh, considering Gobert or considering uh, Lopez on the Nets. Obviously, like we mentioned, Lopez already played on the team, but not with the, the players that they currently have. The thing with Gobert is, can he have success in the postseason? Can he, you know, still play at the same level we see during the regular season? And, you know, based off of what we have in our sample sizes of the Jazz in the postseason, he hasn't been able to maintain that level because teams have been exposing him with switches, which I think is... It's kind of scary if you're, you know, trading for a player like Gobert, especially he's only got one year left on his deal considering, you know, the season's over or if it is, it's going to be, you know, X amount of games, 25 million next year. He's going to be looking probably for a max contract after that. Yeah, he'll be due for because of obviously the defensive player of the year, all star sort of that sort of stuff. And I don't think that's something you want to do. I don't think there's enough value in the center position, at least with the skill set he has, that you want to supermax a guy like him. And that's just my opinion and my philosophy on basketball because based off, we've kind of mentioned this on the last couple of shows, 
what we saw of Jock Vaughn in two games and what we've heard and based off of quotes from Kyrie and KD, the Nets want to get switchy when it comes to defense. And I don't think Gobert is a switchy type player. I think that's why, you know, either going with a low uh, contract number at the center position makes more sense if you're going to play small or trying to get the actual skill set they that you need makes more sense. I'm not sure if Rudy Gobert is the answer and is going to help them win a championship. He might make them a better regular season team. But I just fear in a final series, especially against like a super intelligent player like LeBron, he's going to be able to expose a guy like Rudy Gobert or a Lakers team or even, you know, just hypothetically if the Warriors were to get back there. It just seems like he can be exposed in a postseason series and you don't want to see that. If you get if you were just hypothetically, if you had Brooke Lopez on the contract he's on, he's not as much and you don't feel bad playing him 25 to 30 minutes or even less if you have to because he's not necessarily one of your key pieces. But if you get Gobert, he becomes your third star. And if you're only playing him 25 minutes in a postseason game, you feel pretty bad about that if you're super maxing him. Yeah, you're certainly hamstrung by him. And, you know, when I did put out that tweet about, you know, I would rather Brook Lopez and it's on debate. I was being hyperbolic, obviously. And, you know, I thought the poll might reveal a bit of clarity and it was almost near on 50-50. 54% would rather have Gobert over Brook Lopez. Obviously, I, I've got a, a love and, and history with, with Brolo, obviously, in terms of what he's done with the Brooklyn Nets, but also what he's doing with... I think that he has uh, been a better defensive player this year than Brook Lopez has been. And that's just my personal opinion. He can also, obviously, his three ball hasn't been as good this year, but I still think he has the ability to do that. I think he's a little bit more, neither of these guys are the switchy sort of centers, but I think Brook Lopez has a little bit more. But guys, what would you give up for a, a Rudy Gobert, I guess, if we were to sort of get him? You know, I, I know that Bleacher Report says, the Nets offer should start with Dinwiddie, Allen, and Jordan. You know, other people are sort of saying that, you know, it should be Dinwiddie and Levert plus pieces. Now, obviously, if we were to get rid of Jordan, that would be, you know, ideal, but I can't see that happening. Uh, uh, but what do you think a package could look like in a hypothetical world? I think for as, as like, much of the third star trade opportunities that the Nets will have this offseason, it's all about what the trade package is going to be. In my opinion, it's Allen, Dinwiddie, and then some assortment of picks and maybe Torian Prince to make the contracts match is a fair package for Rudy Gobert. I just like have a hard time selling myself on Rigo Bear just because of the contract situation, because knowing that he's going to be an expiring 25 mil and then having to pay him a supermax. And let's not forget that Utah is going to lose all leverage in the situation if it becomes public that these two don't get along. I think they're not going to get a crazy deal for it. It's hard for me to kind of put a value or a trade package together, not knowing what the leverage is going to be in that situation. But I'm not sure he would be at the top of my list, and I wouldn't necessarily be willing to give up a ton because I'm not sure how much he really upgrades the Nets. And obviously, you know, Jared Allen's not an elite defensive center. DeAndre Jordan once was. He's not there anymore. But like I mentioned, when it comes down to winning a championship, do we know that Rudy Gobert can be that piece that really pushes the Nets to the top? You'd probably have more interest from me if the Nets were making a trade with Indiana for Miles Turner. Yeah, I think it all depends on you know what you're giving up what other options are available like in the sense that if you know the, the say we joel and b the, the big big stars are off you know you can't get your bill you can't get a uh, you can't get a, a joel and b you can't get a ben simmons do you start to reassess and go okay well how much does rudy gobert make us better without jared allen deandre jordan and the like you know obviously a lot of people are speaking about uh, we might be undervaluing rudy gobert and his 
insane defensive chops. You know, he is a perennial defensive center. And I said on JBT that, you know, he is a walking top five center with you have him in your team. But, you know, the Utah Jazz did struggle at times this season. I think a lot of that was, you know, Rudy Gobert's sort of poutiness and him not getting touches and he sort of wasn't giving effort on the defensive end that he uh, he necessarily should. But, you know, it would make the Nets better. You know, in, in a vacuum, it would certainly make the Nets better. How much better? Nick, I agree with you. You know, Alec, I also see your point, the fact that you, he is probably an upgrade over uh, our Brook Lopez in terms of what he can bring on the defensive end and sort of transform that side of the floor. But so many things to consider. But uh, give me Donovan Mitchell. You know, trade him straight up for Rodion Skouritz and Jadon Moussa. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure that the, the Utah office would, uh, would definitely be making that one work for sure. But any other thoughts on Gobert, Mitchell, uh, before we move on to some uh, chatter? Yeah, I, I mean... Oh, go ahead, Alec. I, I agree with Nick, honestly, for the most part. I think the the package can't be too much because, as you're right, the Jazz have no leverage. They're, they're the ones who are getting a trade demanded on them. But I think that, as for Rudy Gobert and his impact, you have to remember that the, that the teams that have been embarrassing him in the postseason, it's really been the Houston Rockets. And Houston, Houston is out west, and we wouldn't be seeing them in the playoffs so I think a few unlucky postseason trips for Rudy isn't what makes him a completely non-factor in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. Matchups are a huge factor, and Rudy would have success if you have match him up with a Philadelphia against, you know, a Joel Embiid or just another bruising center. But I'm just like, I just not a fan of the lack of, lack of flexibility. Not saying that they're going to face Houston, but there could be another team studying the tape and just looking back and, We've seen Rudy Gobert in the postseason, what it can be. But again, he'd be in a lot lesser role with the Nets, so maybe he would be able to kind of take his game to another level. And also would alleviate some of the pressure defensively from the rest of the team, knowing you have you know, probably the best shot blocker in the NBA. Plus, yeah. we know Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving want to play on the floor with DeAndre Jordan, not just have him in the locker room. And True. Rudy Gobert would be like the no-brainer starter if he was on the team. Yeah, you'd almost have to move DeAndre in that trade because you're playing Gobert 30 minutes. Like, you're not paying him a supermax not to play him. So I'm just in fear of the contract, knowing that the Nets are already going to be, you know, in some cap situations moving forward, and you can't ask Joe Sy to play, you know, pay an insane luxury tax bill. Yeah, unless you have one of three centers, you know, Bede, Jokic, Towns, Davis, if you consider him a center, then I don't think the center position, like you sort of mentioned, Nick matters as much. I think you're better off going with a uh, a makeshift center, a guy. You know, Jared Allen is essentially sort of a sort of perfect prototype if he could sort of sort of shoot threes. A Dwayne Dedman sort of type, a, a light Brook Lopez if you can sort of afford him. There aren't many of those guys obviously available in the market, but I think that you know if you get a sort of supercharged four like an Aaron Gordon, plenty of options to consider. But I, I certainly think it's not one to just sort of be be thrown out. Any way that this team is going to be made better. I'm sure Sean Marks will consider, but, you know, the, the New York Knicks were one, and obviously we know all about the the the, the chase for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and, and former net Jared Dudley is uh, make, making some comments, and he sort of said, and let's be honest, if the Knicks are run right, the Knicks get them easily, and it's not even close. If the Knicks are run halfway decent, they get KD and Kyrie. Thoughts, lads? This, this hits hard, but I think he's right. Um, the rumors, the photoshops, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and those jerseys have been there for a while. It is the New York Knicks. It's a legendary franchise. If they were run competently, not even decently, but competently, I think those two would be Knicks. But 
we've never lived in that world. I personally have never lived in a year where they were wet run well. So what's the point, Jared? Like, I don't care. I think like saying define run halfway decent is just such a vague statement because if the Knicks were in a better situation than Nets or in a comparable situation where, hey, they were a young up-and-coming team, they just landed the seventh seed, they had some stars developing, yeah, that makes sense. But if the net, if the Knicks just have, let's say, a competent front office and they still have the same array of players on the roster, I'm still not sure if Kyrie and KD go there because there's not necessarily any pieces in place that sets you up to win. I think at the end of the day, obviously having a competent front office is huge, but it's not like the Nets roster construction was terrible or something and they just went there because it's New York. The Nets were a competent franchise in the front office on the court and they just you know won a game in a playoff series so i don't think it's just all about the front office i think some of the players on the roster matter too yeah i certainly think it does and obviously you know revisionist history is is very easy to sort of consider hindsight 2020 you know if you don't have james dolan you get the you get Kyrie and kd yeah probably and and if you have somewhat of a competent front office you you get them yeah probably but all of those factors to come into play to make them a half-decent organization, as Jared Dudley said, it's quite a lot for a team that is in the doldrums like the New York Knicks are. I know I'll happily shade that I had egg on my face because I was a, personally a believer in the fact that Kevin Durant was going to be going to the New York Knicks. I bought into all the hype, the Rich Kleinman sort of connection, you know, the the marketing BS that we sort of saw on their, their season ticket holder stuff. So... For me, I, I was actually there. I was thinking that, you know, the New York Knicks allure, you know, the, the the allure of the Lakers got LeBron James, the allure and mystique of being, you know, on one of the biggest franchise teams in sports in America would actually get Kyrie, Kyrie and KD. But obviously, maybe Kyrie's connection to Brooklyn, you know, he said plenty of times uh, that it is real. You know, he obviously followed JC Kidd in the Nets uh, as a youngster. You know, he has a true connection to them, and that, that's the team that he did follow. Maybe he always wanted to go there, and maybe it was Kevin Durant who was sort of leaning towards the Knicks in some sort of respect. I don't think we'll ever know. Maybe we're going to tell all books 20 years down the line. Maybe if there's a how long this pandemic goes, we might get some insight to it on some Instagram live posts. Uh, who knows uh, at all? But many little comment, guys, I'll just throw at you before we move on to some Kyrie. And AI talk. Uh, Kyrie's shoulder 100% recovered. He's doing TikTok videos. Yes or no? <laughs> it did look pretty good in the video. Did, yeah? <laughs> look, as an experienced TikToker, I have to say, look, I'm part of that This is why this we had is, you on. I'm the expert. Um, as an experienced TikToker, I can say it takes no effort to do what he was doing. But damn, did it look fun. He was swinging back and forth. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean... He's better than him sitting there and not doing anything. So we have to think it's positive in the sense that he did move his shoulder with no pain. Kyrie Irving saw LeBron James hanging with his kids doing the TikTok dances. He's like, what is this TikTok app? I have to get on this immediately. All we need is Kevin Durant and Nick Faye on TikTok and then our lives <laughs> will be complete. I'm, I'm getting tempted. I'm getting tempted. But uh, back to work. So can't necessarily have the time for the TikToks. If I do need to, uh, I'll be, be sure to hit up Alec and Kyrie Irving in the DMs. That is for <laughs> sure. But lads, not LeBron, was, not LeBron. <laughs> uh, I don't even really think I have the connections uh, to get to LeBron. But Kyrie and, and Alec, I think I might get the... You know, I'll, I'll just go for Kyrie first because, you know, Alex certainly blowing up lately. So I don't know if I'll be able to get the, the requisite time that I need from him. But this Kyrie and AI talk, you know, revamped and, and, and heated back up after, I don't know how it did, but it, it did. So I thought I'd, I'd chuck it in here as a, a bit of a talking point. Back in 2017, 
Kevin Durant sort of made the point that, you know, Kyrie Irving is better than Allen Iverson. And a lot of people are like, wait, you're saying Kyrie Irving's better than Allen Iverson, one of the most transformative figures in, in the history of the NBA. And a lot of people were, were shocked at that. And it came back and I decided to put out a poll, decided to put out some, you know, some comments from different people. Before I get to the poll results, lad, who is better to you, Kyrie Irving or the answer? I'm going to be honest. When I first saw this question, I was like, it's Allen Iverson, obviously. But then I, I had to take a deeper look, and I think it has to be Kyrie Irving. If you're just looking at stats and you just for pace and minutes and all that, it's quite even. And Kyrie Irving is just as efficient everywhere, but is a staggeringly better shooter from deep. And then if you look at the the um, advanced stats, his box plus minus, his impact on winning, I think Kyrie Irving was a better player. Yeah, I think this is an extremely difficult comparison. This is like if Kyrie were to stay in Cleveland his whole career and LeBron never came. That's kind of what AI had to deal with in Philadelphia. He was always the man. He had a lot of pressure put on him. And let's not forget the era that AI played in in terms of spacing. His game would benefit of playing in this current era. So I would say AI in terms of career gets to nod right now because of the success we've already seen him have. But Kyrie's career is not over. So I think Kyrie still has a chance to surpass him. But AI has, was always the number one guy in his team and essentially you know, had to do everything on his own. And he was on a lot of bad Philadelphia teams that he got into the playoffs. So I think right now AI is the better player because of the circumstances and the responsibilities he had. But I think Kyrie has the potential to surpass him. Yeah, the only sort of insight that we got to see Kyrie as a number one number one guy was in Boston. And he was, and obviously 20 games with the Brooklyn Nets. You know, I think we saw a decent chunk there, but I think Allen Iverson, you know, he led a team to the finals by himself with the, with the Sixers team. You know, obviously he has tremendous talent. I think that that was what the best version of Kyrie Irving could be by himself. And Al, if you put Allen Iverson with, you know, Kevin Durant or or LeBron James, I think that they would have similar results. If we're nitpicking at the the little different things in terms of their individual skill set, you could certainly make an argument that Kyrie Irving is a more skilled player in terms of his handle, in terms of his shooting, like you mentioned, Alec. But I think overall, the fact that Allen Iverson was able to lead a team, I think as well in terms of impact on the, the NBA culture, I think there might be, outside of Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson might be the most impactful player in the history of the NBA in a way that I don't think that we've ever thought of. And uh, that's obviously outside of the, off the basketball court, but that's just a thought that I thought was worth mentioning. Yeah. I think he's probably top five, top 10 most influential basketball players ever just because of his impact on the game. And even when you hear a lot of players like, Hey, who did you look up, look up to when you were younger? AI is a really popular name. AI was like the shit back in the day when I was in middle school, like early high school, like Allen Iverson was the guy, especially with the handles. Like it was disgusting. And you were just hoping when your team faced Philly that like he wasn't going to embarrass your favorite player. If we're talking about off the court, I won't speak on Kyrie Irving because it's the Nets podcast, but Allen Iverson is blows him out of the park. It's the, the influence, the impact, the way he changed how we, like perceive of NBA players as people in our society was massive for years to come. Yeah, I think that it's worth mentioning and obviously Kyrie Irving's impact off the court as well in terms of, you know, his shoe game. I think that Kyrie Irving has one of the best shoes, most affordable shoes, best-selling shoes. His personality, obviously, with the Uncle Drew character, the Uncle Drew movie, which is 
not great, but you know, in terms of NBA personalities, I think Kyrie Irving has developed a cult following that is similar to an Allen Iverson. And you know, if he is to win a, a championship along Kevin Durant, I'll, I'll throw it to you guys. Actually, I'll let you answer it and, and make you answer the tough questions. If Kyrie Irving is to win another championship in Brooklyn alongside Kevin Durant, does that elevate him above Allen Iverson in the all-time conversation? I think it has to. He's he's. He'll, he'll have solidified himself as more of a winning player, as more of an impactful player. And at that point, there isn't much you can say, especially when looking at the stats on top of that. I think a lot will factor in how much of a role he plays in that. You know, like, is it, you know, super KD driven? Do the Nets have a third star? Is Kyrie having a similar series to what we saw against, you know, uh, Golden State when they came back from 3-1? I think a really effective postseason run could help push him past it but it might even take more of that it might it's going to take like years of success and playing at a super high level like if injuries were to shorten Kyrie's career I think it really hurts his case if he's super efficient and him and KD are the best duo in the NBA for the next two to three seasons and they walk away with two championships yeah sure you can probably put him above AI but I think right now even with one more championship it's still tough to push him like Allen Iverson again the position he was in is just so much different than what Kyrie is asked to do because no disrespect to Kyrie he's more of a sidekick or you know a your second option where AI was always the number one option and everything was kind of run through him and the pressure on him in that era with the lack of spacing and the way he played the game was tougher. Yeah, and I think we we forget, you know, AI, MVP, four-time scoring champion, you know, Kyrie Irving, despite the fact that he is an incredible scorer, I don't think he's finished higher than a, an eighth in eighth when it comes to points per game. You know, obviously, he was probably on his way this season to certainly finish, you know, around that sort of top range. You know, seven-time All-NBA player, two-time uh, All-Star Game MVP, 11-time NBA All-Star. You know, those are lofty achievements that I think we forget because, you know, obviously, he was before, you know, when we were sort of really diving into NBA sort of content for, for OTG basketball. But, yeah, I think Allen Iverson, as a number one guy, has proven it for a, a sustained period. Kyrie Irving has shown glimpses in Boston, has shown an even smaller glimpse in Brooklyn in terms of being able to lead the Nets to success in some uh, modicum of, of, of success in, in that sort of respect. But, you know, obviously... Time will, will, will prove a lot of things. I do think winning does matter to narrative success, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the championship, you know, you need a ring to, to sort of prove it. You know, if Allen Iverson had a ring, you know, that elevates him to being in maybe one of the all-time great NBA point guards. And he already is. But, you know, obviously with with the likes of, you know, Chris Paul and uh, John Stockton, these sort of guys, Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson's another level. But uh, winning certainly does help that. And, uh, and Allen Iverson has won by himself. Kyrie Irving has had that opportunity and hasn't done that. You know, in, in last year, uh, not this well, last year with Boston, you know, uh, the, the success that he had uh, in the postseason was was very limited. And he sort of, especially against, you know, Milwaukee, where they sort of got flamed out a little bit after that first game. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. So, you know, it's probably AI right now. Um, and I remember when I did put up the poll and Kyrie was winning for a certain point, there were a lot of people complaining. But I think the results where it ended up being uh, Alan Iverson with 63% of the vote and, and Kyrie Irving with six, uh, 37% of the vote. Uh, that's essentially where I thought it would uh, end up being. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I, I think, think a lot sense. of it is is career. Like, I think it's it's hard to say someone who's 27, 28 years old is better than somebody who's already completed their entire NBA career. And like we mentioned, was one of the most influential, influential basketball players ever. Very, very true. But back to, to current... 
back to back to current uh, NBA sort of stuff and Ali had a piece and a, a mini sort of series OTDBasketball.com sort of evaluating their trades and the assets that are available. Uh, make sure you check that one out, the Brooklyn Big Three, the assets. Uh, and one key thing that I wanted to ask you about, Alec, and, and you can chime in as well, obviously, too, Nick, is what are the chances that you think Karis Avert actually turns into the Nets' third star? And, you know, we discounting the trade possibilities in Brooklyn. You know, I know Nick and I have spoken about this a little bit, but what do you think of Karis Avert's chance of turning into a bona fide number three guy on this Brooklyn Nets team? I think, I mean, this is a little bit of a two-pronged question, no. Karis yeah. Levert has no doubt shown star potential. He is destined to become, like, an all-star player in this league. But season after season, injuries have hampered him. He's never played more than 71 games, 39, 40, 57. But every season, he goes on that streak with the triple-double in the 51-point game this year. The, uh, he seemed like he seemed poised for an all-star berth at the beginning of last season, and then he seemed like an all-star level player in the postseason. But so I think if he can stay healthy, he'll definitely be a star. As for whether that'll be on the Nets or not, the trade market this offseason will have to be enticing for Levert, and we'll see if the right move opens up for Brooklyn. My ultimate prediction is he will be a star, but not for the Nets. There we go. Nick, you, I guess you'll be sort of rehashing some things from the pre- previous Brooklyn Buzz, but obviously taking into Alex's opinion into account, that article as well, has it changed how you sort of feel about Karis Levert's stance on this team and outside of that beyond? Yeah, um, I think Alec pretty much hit it in the sense that a lot of it is going to be injury-driven. You know, if Karis is healthy, we've seen the stints over the last two years that he's proven he can play you know, at an all-star level or at least close to it. So I think there's definitely a chance for him to become a star, but there's other variables that are going to allow that to happen, being injury, his role in the team, the next coach, what they think of him. Just looking at Karras's, uh splits real quick, as a starter this season, he's averaging 21 points a game, almost five rebounds, almost five assists. As a reserve player, he's averaging 11 points, under three assists, and under three uh, rebounds. So I think, obviously, the amount he plays, the amount of – chances he's going to have with the ball in his hands is going to play a role in that and then some of it's going to be on Karras especially if he's playing with Katie and Kyrie it's not just going to be about scoring it's about hey can you improve as a passer can you improve as a rebounder and most definitely can you improve in being that elite defender that we've seen glimpses of you know we mentioned a lot on this show Zach Lowe after Levert's first or second season thought that he could be an all defensive team type player and I think we've seen enough for him that it is but there is the potential there but it's is he going to focus enough on that skill yeah that's that's the, the big question, I guess, at the end of the day, focusing just on him within the Brooklyn Nets system. You know, Karras has never, for me, shown that he can be a superstar role player. Uh, he can be a star by himself in terms of when the ball is in his hands and he's initiating the offense. How often is he going to get to do that alongside Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? Oh, I don't know. And if Spencer Dimity were to stick around too. I don't know. The, the touches will certainly be uh, an issue. Obviously, you get a certain coach that can allow him to flourish. You know, maybe that certainly does help. But I think the defensive prowess needs to stay consistent. And I think if we, you know, he, he's nowhere near in the realm of a Ben Simmons. But I think that's one area, one play you can look to and go, Ben Simmons was seen as a good defender, you know, in his rookie season, you know, an above average defender. And then a very good defender in his second season. And now he is one of the defensive player of the year candidates, you know, for me, it'd be him and or Giannis. And I guess I'll reveal that uh, on, on future episodes of the outlet buzz and JVT. But in general, I think that's where he can get, 
he can get into that realm, like you sort of mentioned, Nick, all defensive player. And if you look at the fact that Ben Simmons has done it, that should be you know a confidence boost for a guy like Karis Levert. I don't think he can defend you know one to four, probably even one to five for one to five for Simmons, but he can certainly defend you know one to three, maybe even some fours because. Karis Levert's like, you know, a solid 6'7", six, 6'6", six, six, which is, you know, a lot of, you know, fours in today's NBA. You look at PJ Tucker, you look at Draymond Green. A lot of the better teams do play small ball, which I think plays into the hands of a Karis Levert. And I think he has gotten a lot stronger as well. You know, there's, there's possessions we've seen, you know, in that mini sort of stretch where he was just yanking the ball from some players, Kawhi Leonard style. So, you know, the, we need Karis Levert, Levert to be a defensive player of the year candidate. If he that does happen... The Nets are going to win a championship. You know, I'm going to put it out there and put it all on the table. You have healthy Kyrie and KD, and you have a defensive player of the year candidate, you know, in Kyrie Levert. Then I think the Nets win a championship. Yeah, I think you know, obviously Ben Simmons has odd, like godly level athleticism at his size. I think there was something that was released that he's maybe the fastest player in the NBA. Karras isn't a bad athlete, but I think the major jump for him and the major plus for Ben Simmons is his strength. Like, Ben Simmons' ability to pretty much not be moved against bigger players, I think, is huge. We've seen Karras get stronger. I think it's about taking that next step. Like you mentioned, Jack, the versatility to defend not only one through three, but defend fours, too, that just pushes the Nets up to another level. And I don't think he has to even get to defensive player of the year candidate stuff. We're just talking, you know, first or second team all defense. I think the Nets would be super happy, especially if they're able to land a, a four that maybe is a little bit more defensive-minded or just has a better skill set on that side of the ball. I think if we're asking if he can be the big three on this Nets team, we have to ask if he can fit on this Nets team. Because the main issue with him, besides the defense, well, it hasn't been an issue. But the main concern, I'd say, has been his three-point shooting from deep. And late, and in late in last or in this past season, he really picked it up, and he averaged 38% from deep. But if you look at some splits, like Nick did, different ones, though. He shot 32% on catch-and-shoot and 42% on pull-up threes. So if he's playing more of an off-ball role with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant handling the ball, like can he shoot the catch-and-shoot shoot shots? That's a it's a it's an intriguing question. Did you get any insight from him, Alec, when you were meeting him face to face at the the Tissot event? Colin, you to give me give me something, mate. Give me something. Give me some. I'm not box. gonna lie. I checked Alec on bombs. his finger. I had to hear if he was okay. The finger. Yeah, yeah. That's my man. That's my man. Uh, but lads, it's been an absolute pleasure. Somehow we came up with a news podcast out of nothing. We'll obviously be jumping into the player season review series. Uh, and, and if there's more news that pops up, uh, mind you, we will definitely be chatting about it. But any other little tidbits you wanted to touch on, revisit before uh, we finish this one up? I just say one note on Karis. I think the fact that he improved so much as a pull-up three-point shooter gives me confidence that he can progress as a catch-and-shoot guy. I don't think he'll ever be an elite three-point shooter, but we can see the difference in his consistency of his shot mechanics as well as his confidence shooting the three balls. just was kind of at a different level over this last two-month span between March and February. And I want to be on the record saying that I 100% agree with what Nick just said. Appreciate that. <laughs> That's why he's on the pod. That's why he gets to come back. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps it up. Always a pleasure, fellas. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.